What's up, everyone? Welcome to the first episode of Den of Geek Presents Marvel Standom, your window into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This week, we're taking on the first episode of Loki, and I've got a panel of experts from Den of Geek here to give you all the MCU secrets that the Time Variance Authority is going to show us. With us today, we have TV editors Alec Bajalid and Katie Burt, and our news and features editor, Kirsten Howard. But how does everybody feel about how different this is from the last show? You know, Falcon and Winter Soldier was a much more grounded affair. And of course, WandaVision kind of defied description. Alec, what do you think? I was a big fan of the first episode. I liked it quite a bit. Um, I know the name of the show is Marvel Standom, but at times Falcon and Winter Soldier didn't make me feel like very much of a Marvel stand. Um, this is more, I think maybe the TV universe in Marvel is, is better as it is weirder. And this is definitely in line with kind of WandaVision's creativity. And I was, thought it was fun. I've heard people call it the, uh, call phase four, the multiverse of sadness. And episode one of Loki, it kept the themes going. These people do need therapy. And some of them are kind of getting it. Well, at least a little bit of it. Um, uh, some people said this episode was slow, but um, I think you can't just have exciting moments, you know? You have to earn them, and they have to mean something to have an impact. But And I think that, from what I've seen of episode one, this show understands that. What do people expect for a first episode that has all of this heavy lifting to do with the concept, like the time variance authority? I don't understand how anybody can complain about this episode being slow. Well, if you remember the first episode of Falcon and Winter Soldier, it started off with that huge action sequence, didn't it? And this sort of goes right into sort of tinkering behind the scenes at the TVA. And I, and there's a lot of chat throughout the episode and, and not a massive amount of action. And I think people expected that from this series particularly. That's a good point. Although there wasn't really a lot of action in the first episode of WandaVision either. So... No. I think people need to uh, adjust their <laughs> expectations. I'll, I'll go so far as to say that the first nine, nine-ish minutes of Loki is my favorite first nine-ish minutes of any of these Marvel shows. Wow. We have like a true Loki stand in our presence. <laughs> yeah. It feels I, good to be back on board. <laughs> I think I was somewhere in the middle. I liked this episode. It didn't blow me away. Um, it doesn't feel fair to, you know, compare it to WandaVision or Falcon and the Winter Soldier, because obviously we've only seen the first episode, but that's where we're at in the timeline. So <laughs> that's what we're doing. Yeah, this episode had so much to do. It both had to set up this premise of, you know, what the TVA, what their deal is, um, and what the premise of this, this relatively short um, season might be, but also recap, um, yeah, all of the trauma that Loki has gone through in the last 10 years of the MCU. So that was a lot. It reminded me a lot of the penultimate episode of WandaVision where we get Wanda going back through her life and her trauma and giving the audience a refresher of like a, a more of a supporting character for those who maybe didn't pay as close attention. And I think that's what happened here too. We have Loki um, not only getting to watch his past, but his future and our past in the MCU. Um, so there was a lot to do. I feel like I can't totally um, judge the show yet, as I'm sure other people feel as well. But I'm excited to see what happens next. Which of you wants to be the brave soul who tries to explain 
the Loki timeline Time that is <laughs> operating on. I thought we decided we put Alec in charge of answering all time-based questions throughout this oh, show. Oh yeah, I got it. It's no yes. big thing. Once upon a time, there was uh, entropy and chaos throughout the multiverse. Wow, then... you're starting at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that's where Miss Minute starts. If it's good enough for Miss Minute, it's good enough for me. Um, and then to end all of the wars between timelines, the timekeepers come in to establish one sacred timeline. And then Loki on the television show Loki is a variant because he picked up the Tesseract, which was a Nexus event that was not planned on the sacred timeline. Now that is bad. Yeah, so this is happening after the events of the Battle of New York in the Avengers film. <laughs> yeah, 2012 Avengers, everything that happened in that movie and that happened in that time frame during Avengers Endgame in which they went back was part of the sacred timeline, except for Loki picking up the Tesseract, which was um, not Timekeeper approved. And that's why he had to go to time jail at the TVA. What's wild about this these Nexus events, though, is that, you know, picking up an Infinity Stone and buggering off with it is huge, right? Going to get people's attention. But in the TVA orientation video, they say some people become variants just by being late for work. They cause a Nexus event. I mean, this must be happening all the time there. The hardest job this first episode has from where I'm sitting is selling us on a Avengers era Loki as our protagonist because he's really at a low point in terms of morality um, here. You know, he's just um, murdered Phil Coulson and also a bunch of random people in New York and has shown zero remorse for those things. So I think I was kind of hit by that watching this and realizing, like I knew theoretically that's where we were going to be coming in, but um, yeah, actually seeing it, I was like, okay, let's let's go for it. I guess he's watching this video and, you know, kind of like we're seeing him react with some real emotion um, to think future character development he'll have. And I think they're trying to kind of use it as a shorthand to make him maybe a, a more um, developed version of his character. That's an excellent point. And I was uh, wondering about that because like all of the, um, a lot of the, the pre-air interviews that, you know, Michael Waldron and Kevin Feige and all of the production team behind this did made like explicitly mentioned that this is the Loki from 2012. So like, don't expect the, the more enlightened, anti-heroic Loki from later films when we get here. But like you said, Katie, the this entire first episode is they like almost try to force him to get to that level, like Clockwork Orange style, by showing him uh, like everything that the correct Loki did later on. I thought that was, I didn't dislike it, but I think that was kind of an odd choice to say like, this is the 2012 Loki, now watch us turn him into the 2021 Loki in the span of like 20 minutes, just to get caught up real quick. I think it was one of the biggest moments for me, actually, when he hopped back to the time theater and, and just watched thing, how things played out in the future. Like there, was a, like there was no one around to lie to anymore. Like he couldn't even lie to himself. And in those moments when he was alone, you could just see on his face, just, he's just, he's just broken and he's got nothing left. So the, the whole evolution of Loki does tie into one of the central tenets of the show, which is the fact that there are these variants running around and it's the Time Variance Authority's job to track down. And one of these 
is a variant Loki who we finally see at the end of the episode. And this Loki does kind of feel like they might be uh, kind of as bad as the Loki of the comics. I mean, that's some pretty ruthless stuff we see them pull off at the end. How does everybody feel about this? Well, I'm still, like, we do see the variant Loki, but do we? (laughs) I still, I, yeah, I still have so many questions about this mysterious hooded figure, but definitely brutal. Um, It's interesting. I don't know. So much of this episode is, like, setting up the timekeepers and the TVA as, like, a, they're not completely malevolent, but, like, they... I don't know, they are somewhat in their apathy. Um, so, yeah, not that, I, not that I'm like cool with like what the variant Loki is doing, but I'm also curious about um, potential other factors, antagonistic factors at this point in the, in the series. Um, obviously we don't know a lot about the variant Loki yet, but I think like, the presence of a variant of, of Loki as a variant and, you know, spawning all of these Nexus events. Um, I think I like that in terms of him kind of re almost reclaiming his God of mischief title within the MCU. Cause you know, they call him that and that's his, that's kind of his whole thing in Asgard, but we've not really seen, I feel like we've not really seen a truly chaotic Loki throughout most of these films. It seems as though, the TVA is, you know, very singularly focused on order and making sure the exact one timeline reacts the way it's supposed to go. And that brief glimpse of weird uh, hooded Sith Lord Loki, I think, kind of presents a bit more of a, a decent chance that we might get something a little more chaotic from Loki that we've gotten before. And I enjoy that. Yeah, I'm super hyped. I mean, on, on the run-up to the show, we were like, who is this hooded figure that we've seen in the trailers? Is it going to be Doctor Doom? Is it going to be Kang? Is it going to be, you know, we went full WandaVision on it, like it's Mephisto. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm actually really hyped to see Loki um, have to cope with um, another version of himself because he really is going to be looking into the mirror a little bit here. And it's kind of further digging further down into his psyche to confront another version of himself. So I'm, I'm excited to see what happens. We're going to start with that really cool animated video. It's kind of like an orientation video that Miss Minute shows to Loki when he's first being checked into the TVA. Uh, Katie, what do you think about this? Because this looks like the most important 60 seconds of MCU continuity we've seen so far. Yeah, I was like, thank you, <laughs> a gift. Uh, well, first of all, I love that it switches up the format of the episode a little bit. It remind it, it was definitely not a reference to WandaVision, but it did remind me of how that show really played with um, format in interesting ways. But in terms of the actual content of it, um, it introduced some major ideas that I think are going to continue to carry forward in at least phase four of the MCU, if not further. Um, it mentions the history of a multiverse war, which feels at this point like Chekhov's multiverse war. I feel like you can't just bring something like that up and (laughs) not eventually come back to it. Maybe I'm giving it too much credit. Um, but yeah, especially looking forward to some of the other 
movies and TV shows, TV shows coming up, things like What If and Doctor Strange. It is the kind of um, moment that I think is, is setting the stage for much more than just this TV show in particular. There's also two really funny deep cuts in it. Uh, like I get really excited anytime I think anything related to the Fantastic Four is happening. Uh, it looks, there's a robot in that video that looks an awful lot like Herbie. Herbie is this absolutely despised robot from the 1978 uh, Fantastic Four Saturday morning cartoon, which he was only on the show because they couldn't use the Human Torch. The Human Torch had been optioned for some other project. So Hanna-Barbera couldn't use the Human Torch and the Fantastic Four anymore. So they needed a fourth member and they just created this really irritating robot. And there's a little robot that you see walking along with the other variants there that kind of looks like Herbie. Um, and the other thing is when you see those two armies fighting, one of them is the Kree. Like one of them is absolutely the Kree from Captain Marvel. Uh, but the other one looks like a futuristic version of the Wakandans. Like it looks like Wakanda has gone off into space and is like, you know, like creating a galactic empire of their own, which is something that has happened in very recent Black Panther comics too. So they're playing with all kinds of stuff in that video and I really, really love it. But I guess the most important thing here is that really, really simple explanation of the cosmology surrounding whatever the MCU multiverse is gonna be. Um, and that leads directly into Doctor Strange 2, which has the appropriate title of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Kirsten, what do you think about that? Yeah, during the uh, orientation video, Miss Minutes says that the a Nexus event that's left unchecked could branch off into madness. And it feels like they use the word madness deliberately. You know, in one division, we thought we were going to get all these Doctor Strange 2 connections. We've since found out that he was supposed to be in it and they took him out. Um, but it feels like this is the one that is now setting that movie up um, with the multiverse and, and the multiversal war. Um, yeah, I don't think it's an accident that they use the word madness there at all. <laughs> um, yeah, it's quite exciting. Do you think it's a safe bet that the TVA is going to fail in their mission, uh, probably because of Loki? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> I think that one or more Lokis are definitely going to be instrumental in taking down the TVA or getting in their way because, you know, we're heading towards some multiversal madness and that can only happen if the timekeepers aren't doing their jobs right. I'm really curious what everybody's kind of appetite for multiversal storytelling is in the context of the MCU. Because for me, as a DC fan, like the multiverse is just like totally baked into DC Comics DNA at this point. Whereas with Marvel, it's always, it's like, it's definitely a thing, but it's not as a core part of the storytelling identity as it always was for DC, for example but we haven't really gone down this road in detail in the MCU. Does everybody think this is a good idea or is Marvel better off with its linear timeline, its sacred timeline, if you will? I think it's a great idea. I think, um, you know, the, the pop culture space has become so, so vast and so overwhelming that the only way to stand out is to have a multiverse of madness. 
I mean, our our cartoons now have, are set in multiverses, like Rick and Morty and Spider Man into the into the Spider Verse. Um, I I feel ready. I feel excited, and I feel like a lot of other people will probably feel the same way. Particularly since you know you've been watching this 1999-999 universe for twenty four movies plus however many TV shows now. Um, I think we're ready to graduate from it. I do think that both of those kinds of narratives take an incredible amount of planning and strategy to be done well. And I think Marvel has proven for the most part that they are good at that. (laughs) So I think that there are certain franchises that I I would be worried about um, this kind of ambition. But yeah, Marvel has earned a lot of um, faith from me, at least in this regard. You know, the whole thing about this Miss Minutes video is that it it lays out the central tenets of why the TVA has to exist. But for those who don't know, the TVA is not an MCU creation. The TVA dates back to the Marvel comics of the 1980s. They were created by uh, Walt Simonson, who is one of the great writer artists of his generation. Yeah, say uh, old Walter really knocked it out of the park with the TVA. Because could you, I mean, like in your guys' heads, could you imagine a, um, like a timekeeping organization being anything other than like a drab bureaucratic nightmare now? Like, that's just it. I mean, the Umbrella Academy did it. The Umbrella Academy just stole the TV basically from, uh, from Marvel because they're, one of their main antagonists is the commission. And it's exactly that. Just uh, timekeepers who wear beige suits and clock into their nine to fives. I wish more people at the TVA weren't a humanoid. <laughs> I was yeah. thinking that, like, you know, when you have the Umbrella Academy, you've got the, the fishbowl head. Oh, Carmichael? Yeah, <laughs> yeah all the different. Um, but they seem to be, a lot of them seem to be sort of humanoid people wandering around. And I, Maybe um, these are just the people oh, no. who work in the specific department. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Or maybe the TVA the agents of the TVA appear to you in the form you expect them to appear to you. So there's a blink and you miss it moment when Loki is first being booked into the TVA. And thanks to Kirsten who pointed this out to me, there's a scroll, there's a variant scroll being booked in there as well. He's like wearing a tracksuit. So maybe that scroll is seeing the TVA agents, maybe they're all appearing to him as other scrolls. Yeah, it's like an even more intense like translation circuit. It's like hearing the language that you speak. Um, yeah, seeing the 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 shape, <laughs> the form that you are most comfortable with. What was everybody's favorite part of the episode? Bit of a slower scene, but I really loved the part in the French church. I think I'm really excited to actually see these characters interacting at different points in the timeline and in an episode where there was a fair amount of recapping about who Loki was and introduction about the TVA. Um, I don't know. This felt like the most organic and exciting to me. Um, and it also, I think the Mobius character, um, yeah, he's really grounding the story in oh, an important way. And so to get to get to spend time with him where it was just him, he wasn't interacting with Loki, even though I like that dynamic. Um, yeah, it just felt like a, a more, even more of an introduction for him in this first episode. So that was my favorite part. I semi-criticized it earlier, just to 
pointed out that I thought was a little strange, but that that fast paced Loki catch up with his, you know, what he would become post 2012, I thought was quite affecting. And it probably a lot of the credit goes to Tom Hiddleston, who just really knows this role inside and out. Um, and I like that he, for the first time in any of these movies, he kind of comes to an understanding of what he is, which is essentially a a loser um, destined <laughs> to just, you know, get his ass kicked so other people can achieve their own self-actualization and be also just like hurt and lashing out from a lifetime of, you know, second son status on Asgard. Also Eugene Cordero, but that's probably Kirsten's favorite. So go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, my favorite bit was anything with Casey. Uh, I love Eugene Cordero. I loved him as Pillboy in The Good Place. And I'm just, I was so just happy to see him. And I hope that he's in a lot more of the episodes because I can't get enough of Casey, honestly. The idea that um, Loki would make this sort of scream-y kind of reference of like, he's gonna gut him like a fish. And he's like, what even is that? Like, what a great, fucking reaction <laughs> sorry <laughs> a great reaction yeah no i love him i also never wanted an infinity stone until i want until i saw an infinity stone paperweight yes. I, don't, yes. I don't care about like the gauntlet collection i well, i want a paperweight <laughs> for me it was definitely the miss minutes orientation video i just love the quirkiness and the nerdiness of it i love that it you know changes aspect ratio i love that you know, there's like film grain on it and stuff. It just felt like the natural evolution of all of the retro weirdness that permeates the entire TVA. Uh, and on top of that, you know, it's a pretty solid way to catch up on the lore of the MCU cosmology. Like, I feel like even people who don't really have a firm grasp of time travel stories and paradoxes and you know and multi and multiverse possibilities i think this gives people a pretty good entrance point into that and that's not easy to do with something that is also meant to make you laugh a little bit so i just thought that was a really impressive way to do things well thanks everyone this is our expert panel of marvel stands here on denny geek presents marvel standom we'll be back here each and every week recapping every episode of loki we'll be here for black widow and we'll be here for everything that comes in the multiverse after. Thanks for watching, and we'll be back soon. Bye. Thanks for watching Denim Geek Presents Marvel Standom. We'll be back every week with new episodes breaking down all the hottest developments in the MCU. Be sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Denim Geek US. Turn on notifications, and you'll be the first to know when our next episode releases. Watch along with us on Twitch at Denim Geek TV. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Den of Geek. Want breaking Marvel news as it happens? Be sure to follow at Marvel Standom on Twitter. We want to hear from you. Got a burning MCU or comics question you need answered? Drop us a line at marvelstandom at denofgeek.com and we'll answer your questions on future episodes. <laughs>